Covered in Glory is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook, the greatest sports betting app of all time. Download it, must be 21 years or older. Welcome back to Covered in Glory, where we have spent two weeks away from you, and I miss the audience, and Brett, I hate to admit it to so many people publicly, but I kind of missed you too. How you been, pal? I'm good. Yeah, I mean, I've just been, I set up like a straw doll of you, and I just talk soccer thoughts to it when we don't record, because I, I can't handle this like separation at this point, especially since the, the beginning of, or especially since in December, we had almost every other day we were talking together and now like you're gone. It's just like this the separation anxiety thing that's coming up. Oh, sounds like my family's dream. I hope it's not a voodoo doll. If I'm walking down the street and I suddenly like my leg snaps in half, I'm having the cops come straight to your house. <laughs> well, you know what? I got a special place to hide it. So uh, I can't, I can't promise you, but I would never do that to you. You're my guy. Like we got a lot to talk about today. Why would I ever put you in pain? We have, so much to discuss. It's been a crazy transfer window. Got a couple of interesting games. So I would never, ever voodoo doll you and cause you harm. Yeah, well, I filled the two weeks not by talking to a strong version of you, but by constantly refreshing all of the crazy news that was coming across the Premier League. The other leagues, not so much. I don't even understand how you're not a fan of the Premier League at this point. Like, it's always so boring to be a fan of the other leagues and just watch all of your clubs sell to the real Super League in England. Like, how does that even feel for everybody Mm -hmm. else? They've got to be extraordinarily angry, which I can confirm they are being a Chelsea fan and reading internet message boards. It was jarring to me to see the like this transfer window because we, we lived in the COVID era, right? Of the money was tight and teams took major hits to the revenue. And so this idea like that everybody was joking around that the Super League exists, it's the Premier League. We didn't really get to see it in action. Like this was the first window where it like slapped me across the face and was like, oh yeah, this is now where we're seeing the financial might of the Premier League and the other leagues are now just turning into feeder systems for it. Um, I don't know if that was like that for you, but like I think the the craziness, especially in the last week and some of the, <clears throat> the deals and the amount of money that was thrown around, like it, it just never was more obvious that this is, we're finally really starting to see that massive financial gap. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I hate to be on cloud nine. I know it's not fair as a Chelsea fan, like we're completely ruining football again and it feels awesome. Uh, I think what will, I think what really like hit it home for me as you were just describing is when I saw that Todd Bowley has already spent over 25% of Abramovitz 20 years and everybody did nothing but complain about Abramovitz like buying championships so the pace at which it's accelerating and how fast it's happening is just absolutely shocking and now instead of just watching him like go you know recruit Enzo or Gusto or all these other guys I'm just going to be hitting F5 to see like what Brazilian hospitals he's just like buying and putting entire wings at in order to get the rights to everybody born in that for the next 20 years. Cause that's the logical extension of what he's doing and how we're going to ruin football next. Yeah. I mean, they've, I mean, bully on it, man. (laughs) Um, He is definitely, he has definitely kind of tried to keep up with nation states that are spending in the Premier League, which is like an impressive thing. Um, But I don't know. Chelsea's a whole other conversation. We can go down that route. I know we got games to get you. We we have plenty of time to talk Chelsea. No, we'll get to the games. We'll we'll talk about Chelsea. Yeah, we'll talk about Chelsea as we get to the game. So I don't want to go down there too much because I do have a big Chelsea question for you related to this topic. But let's hold it for at least one game. Uh, because we we do have a banger to start out this week, and it would be unfair to just go too far down the, the Chelsea pattern before we talk about the big matchup on Sunday, which is Spurs versus City. Spurs is fifth at 36 points. City is second at 45 points. This game is Sunday at 11.30 a.m. City is minus 140. Spurs are plus 325. The draw is plus 310. Our friends at Caesars have City minus half a goal at minus 145. And the Spurs double chance at plus 115. Uh, So, Brett, you and I were absolutely in shock at the Manchester City late transfer uh, news featuring pod favorite, 
Jao Cancelo. What do you make of what the hell happened with them shipping out arguably one of the best five players in the entire league for no reason other than they seem to not be getting along? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's really crazy how how quickly this stuff changes in, in soccer, right? And, uh, you know, it's hard to know the inner workings of the situation, but l- the jarring part of it is last year, I, I wrote it down, so I have this here, Cancelo played 52 matches for City. He led the team in minutes, even more than Ederson, who was a goalkeeper, in outfield minutes with 4,649 minutes across all competitions last year. And then you fast forward six months later, Rico Lewis usurped his spot in Pep size, and now he's at Bayern. And I don't, like, it is so, it's not like he fell off a cliff. It's not like he's 35 and just, like, his legs completely lost him. Like, he was playing fine. He was starting a lot earlier in the year. You know, there was a reported big training ground dust-up when basically he wasn't named to the starting 11 against Arsenal. And then him and Pep, like, had a thing. And then it was just like, all right, get him out of here. But it's just, it's wild, right? Like, I it, like part of me wants to be like, this has got to be a, a Pep ego thing. I mean, you never know if Cancelo's been problematic this whole time. But it's also like, if he's been problematic this whole time, if he's a tough personality, how do you go from playing him 4,649 minutes to sending him to Germany in less than six months? I don't, yeah. I can't process this one. Of all the crazy things that happened in the last couple of weeks in the transfer window, this is by far and away the weirdest thing that happened to me. He's 28 years old yeah. and he's 28 years old. He's in his absolute prime. He's, you know, one of the best in the world. And by the way, I'd like to thank Pep for shipping him out because now Reese James is absolutely the best fullback in the premier league. And yes, I'm aware Trent Alexander Arnold is still playing, uh, but it's nice to have a Chelsea boy on top. I just, I don't get it. And like, to send him to Bayern of all teams. I mean, I guess like to get him out of the grounds, he wasn't uh, agreeing to go play for, I don't know, Brighton or Southampton or somebody else. Like, I guess they had to send him to another powerhouse, but the one thing they need more than anything else to complete, you know, Pep's time at city is the champions league. Right. And they sent him to Bayern Munich, who is the biggest competitor for this trophy. Like, well, in what world does this make sense? Like send him to train with the youth for the rest of the year. And then, sell them in the offseason if you have to don't strengthen your greatest rival for the big year cup that you crave so much what is going on yeah i mean ever since that rule change where you you're not cup tied anymore like that is i mean that's the other reason that it's so weird it's like there's a very good chance they're gonna have to go through that team and now you have added the byron's you know we've talked about the premier league but byron's weakest aspect has been their fullback play like Alfonso Davies has been hurt you know they've been starting a lot of Hernandez and Pavard but Hernandez tore his ACL on the world cup and Kimmich has had to fill in it right back like now you just added one of the best fullbacks in the world to one of the best teams in the world that you may have to go through to win the missing piece it is so weird like how much does Pep have to hate Cancelo to do that I don't understand it It's it's really wild. And like, why mess with it? And particularly when it's not like this has been a perfect season for City, right? Like right. we talked about them arguably being the best club team of all time. And now they find themselves looking up to Arsenal halfway through. So is R- Ricardo Lewis like the next coming of Jesus? Like what did they have to clear out space for this guy to cook? Like, I, I don't get it. I, it. Pep has obviously earned it. He's, you know, the best manager of probably our lifetime, or at least my soccer watching lifetime. Alec Ferguson, I'm sure, has a claim to the title, but I've never seen anybody be as impactful as Pep week to week uh, during the time I've been watching soccer. So I, I guess he's earned the rope to hang himself here. But this is one of the stranger things I've ever seen him do. And we'll see. Uh, on the other side, Spurs, I think they made a hell of a signing with Pedro Porro right at the end there. I mean, he's been outstanding for sporting, and we know how influential 
coincidentally, people playing out on the right wing are uh, in the Conte system. So he looked great in the Champions League. He's, you know, looked great in the worst competition the sporting faces. But if he can come in and be impactful and give them the creative spark and also give them a little bit of bite on the defensive side of the field, it seems like exactly what Spurs might have been missing. So I think that one flew under the radar of Enzo and all the thing, other things that were happening. But there's a chance we look up at the end of the year and this is the most impactful signing made in the Premier League in the January window. Yeah, I mean, because you know, when we talk about team needs, I mean, this is easily, I mean, I think maybe it's debatable. I don't think it is personally, but Poro is probably the best wing back that we've seen Conte have at Spurs. Um, I mean, Emerson is kind of like a more, I mean, <clears throat> we always kind of think of these Brazilian players always having these attacking fl- flair, but he's definitely like a more rugged kind of defensive fullback. Uh, you know, his numbers look good, but that's just mostly because Conte's system, like, asked those guys to crash the box. Uh, I mean, Perisic is washed, in my opinion. Sessegnon uh, has been backing him up. Uh, they ran uh, Reggian out of town. So, you know, uh, I think with Doherty, they even bought out his contract <clears throat> um, just in this window as well. So this is this is a huge, as someone like you who has watched Victor Moses, uh Win champion, win uh, Premier League titles. Yep, this is a huge spot in Conte's system, and I think he, this Poro has the chance to be the best wing back that he's worked with at Spurs. So I agree with you. I mean, this is kind of like when Bentancourt came in, and we said this is not a sexy signing, but he's going to be really impactful. I think this could be the same thing. It's not a super sexy signing. He doesn't have like super gaudy numbers you know, playing wing back for Lisbon, but he's going to come from a similar system. He's a young player that can improve. He's definitely got a ton of skills. He's better in a lot of areas than the other wing backs that Spurs have right now. So like, I agree with you. I think this is a sneaky, good signing. I don't know how much it's going to push Spurs up the table, but it's got some, some uh, dark horse potential to be something we look back on six months from now when some other players sent out from Pep to play for Saudi Arabia or something um, that we could be like, yeah, this signing was, <laughs> we didn't give this enough credit and it really pushed Spurs into the champions league or something. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to watching him work with Kulishevsky. I mean, if he, if he embeds quickly, those guys can really cook down the right side. So it's just great for the premier league, right? Like this league that we love to follow so much. Um, it just keeps getting better and better, you know, throughout the entire league and even at the top. And like, then I look at something like La Liga, it's like, okay, how far has Atletico fallen where they sign like Matt Doherty as a Spurs castaway in January and expect to plug him in? Like, and they're the third most powerful team in that league. I don't know. I'm, I'm giddy about the premier league right now, as you guys can tell from the way I'm talking this episode, um, in terms of this game. Conte's not managing. Conte had gallbladder surgery yesterday, and City still has everything in the world to play for since they're looking up at Arsenal. So I'm surprised this line didn't adjust more. Like after the Conte surgery news broke, this line didn't really move at all. Uh, he's not going to get a chance to work with Poro whatsoever. Like they haven't even shared the same training ground yet. So to get City at a re- pretty short number here at only minus 140 on nine days rest. Uh, and I can keep fading the Spurs as I've been doing very profitably recently. I'm just going to keep doing it. I don't know about you. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of the same thing. Um, you know, Spurs have some warts still. Like Poro could be a big signing for them, uh, but they are kind of uh, just blah. Like they're like the thing we know we haven't really talked about is they are way over their skis in terms of their finishing. A lot of that is they have incredible finishers in Kane and Son. Some we've talked about plenty of times, always overperforms his underlying numbers in that sense. But like their attack is still not that special. Um, I think it's like sixth or seventh in the Premier League right now in in terms of expected goals per 90, um, which is not what you would expect from a Champions League team. And that it's not made up for the fact that like their defense is fifth in the league. And so for them to push up, they need to get better in one of those two area. So I believe the hope is, is that Poro pushes the attack up and makes it more like Conte's Inter versus Conte's Chelsea, where Inter was more of a way more of attacking inside that we've ever seen in a Conte versus the super defensive side that he had with Chelsea. Um, so I don't know. I, I, my gut says City is still 
outside of Spurs' class. Um, and like you said, Poro's not going to be able to integrate right away. Like, you just got signed. Conte's not even there. So I couldn't get to the, the spread, but I took City on the money line at the minus 140. I think they win this match. And I think, oh God, I basically dragged Ederson through the mud <laughs> subtly over the last, maybe not so subtly over the last couple of weeks. But so when looking at this match, in five of the last six City matches, they have given up less than 0.8 expected goals per match. And the only one they didn't was the United match where offside is just, you know, kind of an like ambiguous rule at this point where a couple of the biggest chances were iffy offsides calls basically. Um, so the clean sheet at plus 175 is actually something I like more than the money line, like just because they're limiting mm. chances. And I still think that Spurs are not as dynamic an attack as we have probably been giving them credit for with their raw goal totals. So I think this is going to be a, I always say this every time City and Spurs play, I always say it's supposed to be a dull match. And then it's like four, two when they score like four goals on like two combined expected goals. So I'm still going with the clean sheet. Yeah. I think it's the best value. I think city has found something defensively. If Ederson stops shots, I think it's good value. As is typical for this podcast, you have well-reasoned, excellent analysis backed by numbers. And I'm just playing gut. Uh, I think that City's going to win here, but I think both teams are going to score. And I, the number plus 210 is highly appealing to me uh, because I definitely like City to win. Then, you know, that takes care of that side of the equation. But City hasn't kept three clean sheets in a row this entire season. And I could absolutely see uh, Ricardo Lewis make a massive mistake that makes the Consuelo narrative even larger going forward. And it's always fun to kind of bet the narratives. Uh, and as we always talk about on this show, City has a tendency to give up consolation goals. So at plus 210, I think that actually represents really good value for that combination. Yeah. And I mean, look, you know, when you talk about numbers versus gut, like these games always seem to somehow go off the rails. I don't know. There's no explanation for it in, in my spreadsheets, but somehow City Spurs just ends up being a circus in some way or another or a goal fest even when they both these teams are good defensive teams or players are missing or whatever, it just somehow winds up being four two. it just does. I don't know how. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to that one on Sunday, but not anywhere near as much as I'm looking forward to the next decade with that team in London uh, that wears blue. So we have this week, uh, Chelsea versus Fulham. The game is Friday at 3 p.m. Chelsea is 10th at 29 points. Fulham is 7th at 31 points. Chelsea is minus 170. Fulham is plus 290. The draw is plus 300. Chelsea minus half a goal is minus 165. And Caesars has Fulham at, at plus 127. So we're obliged to talk about this game this week, uh, Brett, because that is the format of our show. But come on. <laughs> After January, how can I just think one day at a time? I'm thinking dynasty, pal. I'm thinking they're the team that's best set up to dominate this league for the foreseeable future. And we are here once again to ruin football. And to think that one year ago, at the end of January, at the beginning of February, every single non-Chelsea fan in the world seemed primed to dance on our graves because of the controversy around the team and the pending sale and some of the implosion in talent and all those sorts of things. And to see us one year later, winding the clock back 18 years before the first Blue Dynasty, making all these signings and priming ourselves for the future, I am over the moon and entirely irrational, so pay no more attention to my bets. But I do want to talk about how great we are. Please join me in that pursuit. What do you have to say? Oh, I'm going to be a total wet blanket right now in both my picks and, and in the analysis <laughs> of the of the window. I love Enzo. We love Enzo. It's a shared a shared love. He was great to watch for anybody that was watching the World Cup. Kind of came into his own. He's been he was great for Benfica before then. Definitely one of the best young midfielders in the world. But <laughs> I don't know how he can ever justify the price tag <laughs> that he ever he just came by. I was kind of mulling this over and I thought. What does a guy whose best position is probably like a holding six have to do to justify a $120 million price tag? And I, I you're already asking the wrong question. He, you're already asking the wrong question. The, you're asking the wrong what's question. What's the right Brad. question? What's the right what, question? Why does he have, 
Why, why does he have to live up to $120 million? Why does his price tag actually matter more than the fit and the impact that he's going to have on this particular team, no matter what he costs? Because here's actually my big question for you. So I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off before no, you you're rain all over my, my Enzo parade. I'm just not, I'm not going to allow it to happen. Uh, here's my big question. Why is Chelsea the only ones doing this? Like, is it so risky that it's going to blow up in their face and everybody's going to have the final laugh? Or are they pioneering a strategy that, you know, most of the Premier League teams are foolish not to follow? Because like Chelsea, yes, they have the money from the Champions League because they've qualified recently, but everybody in the top seven now seems to have that aspiration. They have, what, the smallest stadium of each one of them, so they only have 45,000 seats, so they don't have the most game day revenue of everybody. Um, They don't have fake sponsorships pumped in you know, by a state fund somewhere that suddenly has an airline that can inject a giant shirt sponsorship in and write it off and cheat around uh, financial fair play. They seem to just be doing this through accounting tricks so why are they alone in doing it why are they the first ones to do these seven and a half eight year contracts why are not the first ones but the ones to really weaponize it why are they going out and spending so much more money than everybody else is it pure will of the ownership because like i don't think they think ffp matters that much they're not afraid of the fine they're not afraid of the the transfer ban now they've done a decade's worth of transferring in one window I guess a competition ban would really hurt, but you know, very few teams have ever jumped straight to competition ban. So is this purely a matter of willpower from ownership or are they doing, or the reason for the hate for Chelsea is this because what every other fan base actually thinks and wishes their team would do. And they could do. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I guess this is probably one of those things where it's a, it's a, we'll see, right? Like we, uh, there's some interesting stuff going on. It kind of seems like there's like a dichotomy between, so bullies partnership is with, I believe a, you will probably correct me if I'm wrong, clear Lake, which is kind of known as like a very like innovative yes. business consultant venture or whatever. And so I kind of see the mix of like, we'll let Todd do Todd. But Todd, if you're going to do Todd, you have to do these things that we think are going to like kind of, you know, be market inefficiencies. So, okay, you want to sign Enzo for 120 million, you're signing him to an eight year deal. You want to sign Mudrick for whatever, he's getting an eight year contract. And you're going to sign this other like 17 year old kid for six million now because we're going to start rolling up these uh, future fees for selling players on later. So, like, there's, there's some interesting things in the middle of this. I think it's one of those things that because we haven't seen it, because COVID slowed down the Premier League for a little bit, because teams like United might be up for sale, um, because City actually kind of ran afoul because they did have ghost sponsorships with financial fair play, and we didn't know exactly what was going to happen there. Um I think it's just like a matter of like Chelsea being like, screw it. Yeah. It's really hurt city. It's really hurt. City. Yeah, I know. Just I know keep winning I know. titles and keep playing in the champions league. So it's really hurt city. But, but I'm saying like, we, we didn't know, right? Like when they first got in trouble, when the, the investigation came out with the sponsorships and the ghost revenue dollars and all that stuff, like we didn't know exactly like, was this going to be the time where financial fair play had teeth? Like, were they going to step up? Was City going to get a ban? Were they going to get a transfer window ban? Like, we just didn't know, right? And that uncertainty is probably part of the reason that maybe stops these teams from doing these things. But th- there's clearly like a strategy, right? Like the longer contracts help with the way that they can outlay the transfer fee money over a number of years. So this is, you know, they're buying younger players that have sell-on value. So even if these guys don't work out, they can sell them, they can loan them with the fee. They can make some of that money back. They can kind of line their books up. So there's clearly definitely some smart things going on here. There's also a little bit of... They're also locking their guys into below superstar level contracts. And so I think what's the most interesting thing about Chelsea's strategy is because like we see this in baseball, right? The Braves have been extraordinarily good in this regard to signing young talent to long-term deals before they hit the open market and get true superstar money. And it allows them you know, to be extraordinarily competitive year after year. They're the shining example of doing this right now. And that seems to be what Chelsea's doing. Because it's like somewhere like Mudrick, you know, you see that he was $70 million or $30 million of add-ons one if they pay the add-ons that means they won the premier league or won the champions league and that'll be the happiest check they ever wrote but two they locked the guy in i think it's either at 90 or 100 depending on 
what you believe per week. Compare that to Koulibaly, who they're paying like 300 per week. And so over an eight-year deal, if you have somebody at a, a hundred grand, that's you know 200 or 250 on his talent, you're saving five, seven, eight million bucks a year over seven years and greatly reducing what you paid for the guy in the first place. And because you have him at a lower salary, you're, the number of clubs you can sell to is much wider, right? Like we talk about this quite a bit. The reason, one yeah. reason Jorginho goes to Arsenal is he can't be on his wages at more than like 10 clubs in the world and so like Mm -hmm. when you're on 90 to 100 the menu to which you can move somebody on greatly expands i think the most interesting thing about the strategy is what's going to happen with traditional player power because like these guys are used to you know after two years forcing a new deal or three years forcing a new deal but they gain that power because they can run their contract down what happens when they can't run their contract down easily, they're on below market wages and they don't have the leverage they used to, but they have the entitlement to think they have that leverage. I think that is going to be the most interesting thing that comes from this strategy. Yeah. And I mean, and that's in the short term thinking that goes on in soccer like that. Well, we we literally just talked about this with Cancelo, right? Like that was a relationship that soured within six months and the guy was pushed out the door. So I think that's maybe another fear why teams don't do this is they, they figure that squads need constant turnover. Players get unhappy very quickly. You get a guy that's on an eight year contract that like doesn't want to train, doesn't want to be there. It blows up his, his ability to maybe, you know, find leverage in the market somewhere. So, I mean, it's not like this is without downside. You know, there's some definitely some smart aspects to it. Like you can see some of the strategy, but like no one's ever done it. So we don't know how it's going to turn out. Like Enzo could maybe just be mediocre yeah. and then the, the fan base turns on him. Like, well, I don't want to even say this. I'm not even going to put this out there. But like someone that you make fun of constantly on this podcast who plays center back for United. Um, and then Enzo wants out. He wants to go somewhere else. He wants to go, you know, play oh. in Italy. He wants to go play in Spain, whatever. Um, Barcelona wants him on his teams and they try to leverage him out of there. So like, we don't know how this is all going to play out, but I, I do like some of the creativity. I think soccer needs this. Um, there's definitely just a lot of archaic thoughts still in terms of the window, in terms of how players are acquired. So seeing this is interesting, seeing what teams like Benfica who have now raked in massive transfer fees year after year with certain players, what they do with that money is also going to be really interesting. So like, it's a, it's a really cool, I think kind of inflection point for soccer. I think the premier league could become a super league and chew everybody up. And then we're just like, this is kind of gross. Or we could start seeing stuff like this with different ways to attack the transfer market with teams using the premier league's monies outside of outside of England to do interesting, cool things and rebuilding and reshaping their squads. Like there's a ton of really cool potential on both sides, both with what Chelsea are doing. If it works, if teams can take some of the aspects of what they're doing, we could start seeing something that, more like major league baseball where you have more sharks in the water where like player acquisition just isn't about we're going to buy this dude and spend 50 million and probably still not even look at his underlying metrics or realize like he scored 20 goals, but 13 of them were penalties or things that still go on in the 2022 premier league, 2022, 23 premier league. Um, This has just got a lot of really cool potential. So I think it's exciting. I, I share your excitement. I I obviously am going to be a little bit of a wet blanket with like, man, that's a big transfer fee. And we always view these players through transfer fees. Um, But there's some cool stuff going on. I get your excitement because you got a whole host now, young, talented players. There's a new generation coming through for Chelsea. They are going to be very interesting to watch going forward. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I mean, Wexham or I don't know, uh, Napoli, like they might be the only competition because I think Chelsea is the most interesting club in the world by pretty wide shot, except for maybe a handful of clubs that I just mentioned. Like, I I think they're fascinating to follow. And the last thing I want to say before I get my pick of this week's game, because if I don't say it now, I'll forget it. The other thing they're betting on is broadcast right inflation, which I think is a really good bet. Uh, Amazon's about to enter the bidding for the rights globally, which has a chance to drive up the Premier League specifically and basically every market in the world. And they're betting on something that's pretty similar to like basketball, right? That uh, it, people think it's outrageous that Steph Curry might make $30, $40 million in a year, but he makes a percentage of the advertiser or the television revenue. And if you can sign Steph Curry to like a 
you know, and when he was 25 and you could sign him to a 10 year deal for $30 million a year. And then the broadcast rights reset every five years, it'd be the best contract you ever signed in the world. Cause at the end of it, the guys like Steph Curry are making $80 million. Mm-hmm. So I think the hedge against, um, about what's going to happen on the finances, on the broadcasting side is another really, really clever thing that I think is going to pay off for Chelsea. And I think they're just ahead of the curve, but as you keep saying, we will see, uh, in terms of this individual game, my favorite stat of the entire week is Chelsea spent a billion dollars and then their odds got worse before the Enzo signing. They were uh, minus 180, and it moved to <laughs> minus 170 afterwards. Uh, so I don't know exactly what they're seeing that made uh, Fulham, you know, better odds in this match after we signed the young player of the year or young player of the world in the World Cup. Uh, but give me Chelsea at minus 170 all day long. Like, let's sign a bunch more guys. Let Vegas keep adjusting. Let's get this down to minus 110 somehow, and I'll be even happier. But I think they're going to come out, and they're going to come out on the front foot, uh, which also leads me to my prop, and I'll let you give both of your picks. Uh, Chelsea win and over 2.5 goals is plus 145. I think you'll agree with me, Brett. I'm very interested to hear. I actually cut off our text exchange because I wanted to hear your answer to this on the pod. I think the signings from Chelsea were almost all uh, secretly about their offense. Um, even their defensive signings, I think, were about their offense because I think a lot of what they did with a lot more mobility, young legs, and really like sturdy defending, like, you know, the baddest seals of the world. And then Enzo, who, you know, can play somewhere between a six and an eight, um, it's going to allow them to play four at the back and it's going to allow them to play a lot more fluid up front. And then obviously they signed every attacker they could possibly get their, their hands on. And I think we're going to see them go from like boring, boring Chelsea under Tuchel, or it was just one zero clean sheets or Mourinho or whatever. And I think they're going to try to play this like really attacking style of football, maybe not all the way to like Napoli, but I think it was all about generating excitement on the offensive end versus, you know, one zero knockout cup specialists that they've been. Uh, so now that they're out of the domestic cups, I think you're going to see, and they're out of the domestic cups and the competition for places is absolutely insanity. Like like Mason Mount, our two-time player of the year on a team that won the champions league and then qualified for the champions league again is not going to start for this team, uh, which is absolutely crazy to think about after, after this January transfer window. So given they're out of the domestic cups and given the competition for places, I think you are going to see people playing with their hair on fire to justify their fees and to make sure that they stay in the starting lineup. And I think all of a sudden we're going to go from boring, boring Chelsea to lots of goals. So Chelsea win over 2.5 goals plus 145. I like quite a bit. And I think that number is going to come down and down and down over the next month. There was definitely a clear focus in one area of the pitch, but I mean, I'm still kind of shocked that part of your excitement was somehow your boy Ziyech got stuck in the PSG offices with no contract. Um, I actually, I kind of been wondering if you're like a black hat and you were the one that intercepted the PDF and just was like, yeah, you can just hang out in Paris for a while with no deal. Um, but no, I, I think, you know, looking to have a nicer guy, yeah, <laughs> I know he's been your favorite. Um, that's why I thought most of the enjoyment around Chelsea was just that scenario in particular. Um, but no, I, I think it, well, looking at this game in particular, there's just a, so many question marks going on here. They obviously, these two teams just played, um, but there's, there's going to be a questionable in, involvement of Reese James. It, it sounds like he's 50, 50, whether he's going to play and how much we don't know. Um, Zayich is literally, was literally stranded in Paris. Um, and he, he featured in the last game and actually the last few games for Chelsea. Um, and then no doubt Felix still serving the last, uh, game of suspension. What is Enzo's involvement going to be? Jorginho just moved. So there's a ton of question marks just in this game. I, I think there uh, those things will solidify themselves pretty quickly going forward, but a lot of things are happening. A lot of, a lot is up in the air right now. I think in this match in particular, they obviously dominated Fulham in the first match, even though they were down a man but Mitrovic didn't play. And as we have talked about, and as you probably were maybe even hoping he would be part of the spending spree, Uh, but he is a shot generating machine for Fulham. He's very key to their ability to to attack. I just think with this, this constant or this big churn of personnel in and out, there's going to be maybe a one or two game window where Chelsea are just not going to be the Chelsea that they might be over the next 15, 20 games. Um, so I went coward's way out the draw plus uh, 290. 
Fulham getting Mitrovic back is very huge. It was a huge reason why that was such a big gap in the first match. He is their attack. And for good reason, he's a good player. He gets into the box. He can get shots from anywhere. He, I mean, he's just a massive dude that a lot of teams struggle to contain. Um, and I think that they'll, they'll probably be able to kind of keep this game within the margin of error more often than not against this Chelsea team, because I don't even know. I mean, as excited as you are, all the names that we listed, we have no idea who's going to be in the starting 11 for this match. <laughs> so um, it's going to be, yeah, I know it's awesome. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting and they may come out and they may blow foam off the pitch, but I just think with the uncertainty, the draw seems the most likely outcome, just given the fact that Chelsea is going to have to figure out when and where all these guys are going to fit and play and be available. Um, and obviously the Reese James things is just massive. Uh, so the other one I have though, is in the same vein as you, uh, it's not a great number, uh, but the yes of both teams to score in a draw is minus uh, is minus one hundred five. Um, so I I like this I like this game for goals. I think you're right. I think we're going to see a new kind of Chelsea, but <laughs> that transition might be a little rough at first after a year and a half of a very stodgy, steady back three to a lot of open space for them to cover. Uh, and my boy Mitrovic coming back. I like goals in this match. Yeah. Well, it's honestly why Jorginho had to go. Like the, he just doesn't have the foot speed to play this wide open style. So right. we can talk more about that when we get to Arsenal. Uh, before we go to the break, I will give my favorite bet of the rest of the year. Um, I had to travel back home. So I landed in a legal state. And before we had hit the gate, I had already placed this bet. Um, Chelsea to finish top six, not even top four, not Champions League, top six. They're only two points back. It's plus, it's a plus number, Brett. It's a plus number. They're plus 105 after that January spending spree and being out of both domestic cups to only finish top six. I love this bet, and I have hammered it personally as soon as I hit the ground in uh, a legal state. Oh, hey, man, it's it's definitely a plus number when it's pretty much a coin flip is, is good value. Yeah, cool. All right, uh, well, we finally need to take our first break after going a little bit long on those two, but we will be back with the other three games and more transfer talk. With Caesars Sportsbook and Casino, every bet earns with Caesar Rewards. That means whether you win or lose, you're always earning towards perks like free stays at iconic Caesars properties, game tickets, dining, and more. And if you haven't started yet, here's a reminder. Your first bet is on Caesars, up to $1,250. Download the app with promo code OmahaFull and place your first bet. If you win, congrats. If you don't, you'll get it all back as a bet credit. 21 and older only. Offer valid and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. New users and first $10 wagers only. Must register with eligible promo code. Bet amount of qualifying wager returned only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bet credit is $1,250. Must be used within 14 days of receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to the account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See Caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. Nowhere to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Arizona? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas. Affiliated with the Kansas Crossing Casino? Call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana? Call one 800 9 with it, Iowa call 1 800 bets off. Louisiana call 1 877 770 stop. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier Casino, and Harris, New Orleans. Michigan call 1 800 270 7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1 800 Gambler. That's 1 800 426 2537. Or uh, West Virginia, visit 1 800 New York, call 877 8 HOPE NY or text HOPE NY. That's 467 369. Offer not available in Maryland or Ohio. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. 
Tired of ads interrupting your favorite sports podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music, included with your Prime membership. Amazon Music offers the most ad-free top podcasts. Enjoy shows like First Take, Pardon the Interruption, and The Low Post, available ad-free and uninterrupted. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app or go to Amazon.com slash ESPN Pods. That's Amazon.com slash ESPN Pods to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Okay, we are back, and I am going to allow Brett to do something that he doesn't get to do nearly as often as uh, he'd like to do, and that is talk about his beloved Everton and a big <laughs> change that happened over the last two weeks. So Everton it's, it's is a strange Everton would be better. Arsenal. <laughs> Arsenal first at 50 points. This game is Saturday at 7.30 a.m. It's the early one. Uh, Arsenal is minus 245. Caesars has Everton at plus 700. The Jaws plus 340. Arsenal is minus a goal and a half at plus 110. Everton is minus 140. All right. So I'm going to clear out after you let me clear out for Chelsea. And let's talk about the hiring of Big Sean Dyche over at Merseyside. Here is your savior that is going to keep you up, or here's a guy who you are going to absolutely dread watching for the next 20 or so match days because of the style he plays. Which one is it, Brett? Oh, man. I, I mean, there's nothing good about, <laughs> about Everton anymore. Um, our friend of the pod, Ryan O'Hanlon, who this podcast is basically just like an avenue for us to uh, pimp out his articles, wrote about uh, Everton's run to relegation basically. Uh, and it's kind of one of those things where I was reading the article about all the number of team building things that they did wrong. And they, they definitely checked every box and it's Everton is basically like, you know, the Ted, La- like Richmond and Ted Lasso, like the Indians in major league where the story starts and they want to do everything they can to make the team bad as possible. And then through sheer willpower, the team of this team of underdogs, you know, makes it work. Uh, in the real world, that's not how it happens. Everton did everything wrong. They are now the clear favorites to go down for relegation. Uh, and then to top it off, when they finally let go of Lampard, probably two months too late, um, their choices for managerial successor were Sean Dyche and Marcelo Bielsa. Toby, <laughs> can you tell me if they have any similarities <laughs> whatsoever in their style of coaching? You literally are going to the opposite end of the spectrum on both sides. The complete attacking, pressing ideologue in Bielsa and then the low block master in Sean Dyche. What is going on? Yeah, It kind of reminds me of uh, Superbad when they're asking him about his name. He's like, why did you call yourself McLovin? He's like, what was between that and Mohammed? (laughs) <laughs> like, why are those the only two options? Like, how did you come up with this being the only two options for your coach? They share no philosophy whatsoever, and they're going to be like in charge of the same guys. Like, how out to sea is the board at Everton when they look at their players and like they can either play entirely one way or entirely the other way, and we have to choose one or the other. It, do- it doesn't make <sighs> any sense. It, it doesn't. I mean, and, and this is the Everton reign, and this is part of the reason why. I don't even, I'm so disappointed because when I first became an Everton fan, the appeal to me was that they were, they were legitimately considered one of the best run clubs in Europe, right? David Moyes operating on a shoestring budget, selling before he can buy one of the lowest revenue streams in the premier league, constantly in the top eight. Like they were the Oakland days of soccer at that point. They are now, I don't know baseball well enough, but whatever is the most dysfunctional franchise in baseball they are that team. <laughs> um, they have completely <laughs> gone through the other side. And, and this is just the, like the, the epitome of the managerial hire or the managerial hire was the epitome of everything they've done wrong. There's no plan. There's no vision. It's just, these are two guys that Moshiri has heard about and <laughs> we'll just pick one of the two <laughs> and we'll just see what happens. Cause it doesn't matter. Yeah. Who cares what styles they play? Who cares what players are on our current roster? Do, do you think they're going down? Yes, I do. I, I think, and I, I think Dyche will actually do something. I, I think we probably, I know he's your boy. Uh, Lampard is a really poor manager. I think he was one of the managers that actually actively makes teams worse, especially in this situation. Um, I think yeah. he would have done better with a little bit yeah. more money where the individual talent could have made up for some of the flaws in terms of his ability to 
basically not be able to craft an organized defense or a plan that's act. Um, I think Dice will solidify them a little bit defensively. I think they'll be better. Um, there's probably a starting 11 in there somewhere that's like the 14th best team in the league. But at this point, they play Arsenal twice, including this matchup today. They have a big hole in front of the teams in front of them. A lot of the teams in front of them also solidified in the window with adding players like maybe Nottingham Forest running Keller Navas. So like there's going to be a, a, a pretty big hole for them to dig out of. And I just do not think that they have the capacity to dig that big of a hole at this point. So if they were even with some of the teams, they were in 17th right now. And you ask me, I'd say I'd have a little more optimism than they would, but I think this is going to be seeing one of the longstanding premier league teams finally get sent to the championship this year. And man, is that going to be a disaster with their finances, new stadium and ownership wanting to sell? Woo! Good time for me at Everton fan right now. Well, they've all, I mean, they've only been relegated out of the top division like once, right? I mean, this is like a major story that it's we're watching unfold. And like, by the way, I, I will pour I will pour one out for Lampard just really quick. Like classic example of too much too soon for a guy who wasn't ready. Yeah. Like that, like Lampard would be the absolute like ideal choice for, you know, the, uh, his first job to have been like the England youth manager or even like the Chelsea U18 manager, but for him to like walk right into one of the five to 10 biggest jobs in world soccer. And then what happens to him after that? It's just a real shame. Like I, I, I wish he had started lower because he was one of my favorite athletes of all time. But you're absolutely right. He was out of his depth, and I hope he can, you know, take some, uh, take this opportunity to not, you know, try to latch on to some Serie A team or some Bundesliga team, but actually goes and rebuilds his career from the ground up. I think he should coach the youth, and I think he'd be phenomenal at it. Um, for this particular game. Uh, oh, actually, there's one other thing I did want to say before we talk about this particular game. Uh, Arsenal's transfer window. They go from uh, $70 million Casado to Jorginho. They go to being in on some massive uh, other targets to Trissard. Was this good business to win the league this year and not hamstring themselves for the future? Or did they lack the ambition to actually compete against City and it's going to cost them in the end? No, I think it was more practical, right? Like, we, I mean, I think as, you know, the Americans who consume trade deadlines and transfer markets, you know, you always want to see the team hit the home run. These were very practical signings, right? Like Trossard is, he's a league average winger. Um, you know, price tag, maybe you could argue was a little high, but like he'll play, you can back up three spots. You know, when Jesus is out, he can kind of fill like a false nine-ish role and let, you know, Saka and Martinelli do their thing. And he's a plug and play guy. And it was great business for Brighton getting a guy on the tail end of his prime for decent money that they have a bunch of young attacking talent that was going to take his place anyways. Um, but, you know, it's it's squad depth. And that's and really like and this is what we talked about. This is this was the problem with Arsenal. This was the thing that I have said that you and I talked about at the beginning of the year. We need to see what happens with the rigors of the season before we can say, OK, all right, we're legit. We believe in you. Um, and then now with these two signings, like you can clearly see, they know that that's a problem as well. So Jorginho was great. Can play a few matches at the base of the midfield. We know that Arteta wants to sign every player. That's a good passer. Like if you can pass, like if Pirlo's maybe thinking about a comeback, he might yeah. get a shot with Arsenal. Um, so, I mean, I, I think they're both really practical. It's not, it's not sexy. It's nothing that we're going to be sitting here going, Oh, like, this is really terrible or a huge risk or man, the downside or upside of this is going to be great or terrible or whatever. It's just, they've bought in pieces that are going to be able to play matches and eat up minutes at a respectable level. And that's what they need, especially with the gap that they have at the table right now. They just need to be able to avoid one injury causing them to lose three straight matches. And then all of a sudden that lead over city is banished. Yeah, but I mean, Partey's got some risk in in him finishing the season. So, Jorginho was an excellent signing for them. I mean, as you pointed out, he's very much an Arteta player. It was good business for Chelsea, too. I mean, they weren't going to extend him given all the new signings. We all assumed he was going back to Italy. So, it does hurt a little bit to go to a rival and, you know, give them the squad depth that is necessary for them to be competitive this year and next year because he's only 31. But honestly, like, this is something I, I respect about, you know, Chelsea. Like, he probably wanted to stay in London. He wanted to maybe win the Premier League. Um, they didn't, you know, hold his feet to the fire. A $10 million offer came in and they did the business. 
Uh, and I think that City's the same way, right? Like selling Jesus to Arsenal and selling Sterling to Chelsea. Uh, I think we'll see more of this inner dealings between the top seven and fair play to all of them. I would say Arsenal's got to win the title this year, though, man. Like they're going to have such regret if they didn't really go for it in the transfer window and they give that lead up to City. And then they got to face a reinforced Chelsea, a reinforced City, a reinforced Liverpool, an ascendant uh, Newcastle, maybe United with new owners. Like it's just going to be harder and harder and harder to win this league. And I think they might regret not fully going for it if they don't lift the title this year for this particular match. Um, we haven't talked hardly at all about what happened in that all bangers edition that we did last time, but Arsenal were really excellent, really, really excellent, excellent and proved they are capital L legit against Manchester United. They were outstanding. Their set piece play was kind of next level versus what we were, uh, used to looking for they're using their strategic advantage there like arteta deserves his flowers for that and they pummeled united in the offensive third uh they racked up 3.24 xg in that match compared to 0.36 for united the 3-2 score line did not indicate the exact ass whooping that arsenal was really delivering them yeah. uh, obviously rashford had a, a pretty great finish um against a very low xg and arsenal had some spotty finishing but just the totality of attempts that the touches they had in manchester united's box like they completely controlled and dominated that game there was a huge gap in quality that i wasn't expecting i mean united had was really playing well coming into that game as, as we pointed out before we bet it had not having casemiro definitely hurt them uh, but didn't hurt them like 3.24 XG. Uh, Arsenal was just that good, particularly Zinchenko and Saka. Um, Nikedia, you know, was, showed up at the right time, uh, right place at the right time. But Luke Shaw, Shaw is doubtful for the match this week, and I'm pretty sure it's because he doesn't have a soul anymore because Saka <laughs> snatched it right clean out of him and is using it to, like, dance around in his backyard. I, I, he's a zombie at this point after the, the job Saka put on him. Oh, man. Um, so I don't know why I still I, I don't know why I watch Arsenal do that to United and still think City's going to win the league, especially when Arsenal's on a hundred point pace and it's not really fluky. Uh, but either way, we're going to have a really damn worthy champion this year, and worthy champions don't lose to Sean Dice uh, <laughs> in a game like this. So I'm taking them on the spread. Give me the plus number at plus one ten at uh, minus a goal and a half. Yep, I'm right there with you. Uh, I mean, the only thing I'll add to that is <laughs> Ever Everton has the has one of the worst defenses in the Premier League, and they have actually been fortunate <laughs> in that regard. So they've they've basically given up um, 33.5 expected goals and chances, uh, but because opponents have forgotten how to shoot against them, only the post shot XG, so where the actual ball ended up on target from those locations, equates equal to about 29 expected goals. So they've basically had a four goal swing in their favor, in their favor when they're the worst defensive team, um, just from opponents forgetting how to shoot. So obviously that's lucky. That's not something that's sustainable. Um, so I'm going to both take the, uh, the arsenal with the spread. And then I uh, Everton, Sol Anthony Gordon, who, who that was actually probably good business. Um, but they, they struggled to attack as well. This is why they're a relegation team, right? The Arsenal clean sheet went at plus 114. Dice is just coming in. He's probably going to try to get him into a low block and consolidate it and organize. But we know how good Arsenal is going to be when they pin a team in that final third. I don't think Everton's going to even get multiple shots on target is where I'm going to be out with this. So a plus number for a clean sheet win for yeah. Arsenal seems like just taking money at this point. I love that one. Uh, I'm going to add that to my bet sheet. Uh, I went with Saka anytime goal scorer plus 200. Like I'm so impressed with him lately and who the hell on Everton is going to slow that guy down. So I don't feel as strong <laughs> as uh, my recent run of Rashford bets on Saka quite yet. Yeah. Good luck. Uh, I, I don't feel as strong about my recent run of Rashford bets quite yet about Saka, but it started to creep that way. And the CM still in the two hundreds against a bad Everton defense, uh, I think is really good value. So I know you have an out, so we're going to need to hurry up a little bit. So let's take our last break and then we're going to sprint through our last two games and the five pint. 
Hi, this is ESPN's Mike Greenberg, and ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sports book of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today, and new users get $100 in bonus bets for making any sports book bet. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. Uh, So we are back and we are going to short shrift Manchester United versus Crystal Palace. Manchester United is fourth at 39 points versus Crystal Palace, 12th at 24 points. This game is Saturday at 10 a.m. United is minus 250. Palace is plus 700. The draw is plus 350. United minus a goal and a half is plus 115. Crystal Palace is uh, minus 145. So, Brett, there's some more transfer window stuff I want to talk about. I do want to ask you one question about United, but otherwise I'm going to punt stuff to next week just so we can get through these games. But after that transfer window uh, from all the other teams around them and after the Erickson injury, do you still think Manchester United should feel confident in finishing top four? Uh, So here's actually the one stat I was going to give today. Uh, Again, these are super noisy, very contextual, but uh, Erickson, I was looking at this. So Erickson's XG plus minus was seven out of nine, the nine United players that over a thousand minutes played, that's like weirdly low, right? Oh, wow. um, yeah. So again, those yeah. numbers are super I noisy. Never guessed. I, I was like, he's probably going to be near the top. Right. Um, so again, those, those summer numbers are super noisy. They're very contextualized, especially with the on balance schedule and the weirdness that's gone on this season. But that kind of tells you that like he has not been some irreplaceable thing because on the other end of the spectrum was Casemiro, right? He had the best expected uh, goal difference with over a thousand minutes on United. So like there is something that probably correlates in there that says maybe this isn't a big loss. Uh, Not super jazzed that like Marcel Sabitzer was like their replacement. Um, (laughs) Nagelsmann at at Bayern was basically like, uh, we can't play him, so we're just going to play one midfielder and a bunch of attackers. That's not a good sign that he's going to come to United and like <laughs> light the world on fire. Um, he could, literally, Kimmich is the only midfielder that plays at Bayern. And Sabitzer couldn't even see the field. Seems like a problem. Um, but yeah, as far as this match goes in particular, there, there was a moment. There was a moment yesterday when Enzo's deal was falling apart, and there was a rumor Chelsea had reached out about Sabitzer. And, and I swear to God that like there was going to be pitchforks at Coburn before anybody knew it. There was a <laughs> online riot that was happening by this combination, and then it was made even more delicious when he became the savior for United like an hour later. Oh God, yeah, talking about <laughs> bullet dodge there. Um, yeah, so I mean, uh, I don't know if they're going to miss him that much. I mean, I think the role that he played was sort of important, but it's also not extremely integral. Um, Casemiro, obviously more important. Rashford, more important, etc. cetera. Uh, in this match in particular, I definitely don't think they'll feel it. Palace has scored under or uh, created less than one expected goal in six of their last seven matches. Um, United's defense has kind of been their calling card, especially since Casemiro has come on. Obviously, Arsenal notwithstanding. Um, so I'm taking United plus 115 and minus 1.5 uh, in the clean sheet win for United as well, plus 113. Uh, if I was better at this, I would adjust what I was thinking based on what you just told me, but I'm not. So I didn't uh, <laughs> with Erickson out. I just want to see it. And especially with Shaw also doubtful. Um, so I, before I lay like two goals on United, without those two players. I just need to see it, right? Especially after Palace. They drew with United 1-1 just a couple of weeks ago. They followed that up by holding Newcastle scoreless. They uh, played a 1-0 match against Chelsea the week before that. They're on this really rough run of fixtures, and they're not getting blown out in any matches. So if I can get them on an adjusted line where they just have to keep it within one, and I only have to pay minus 145, 
That's the way I'm leaning in this particular match, just because of the number. And then similar to you, though, I don't think it's going to be exactly a barn burner. Uh, you, you took the clean sheet. I'm taking the under two and a half goals and minus 110. I think, that, you know, I want to see how much they miss Erickson, how much noise is in that number that you just uh, shared. And I think Palace is going to do their absolute damnness to really muddy this game up as much as possible because they can't all be bangers. Um, and the betting markets have finally called up on Rashford, so I can't keep betting Rashford every single game. I can't believe oh, like, how long he hung out in the high 200s for an anytime goal, and now he's down to almost even money. I'm like, I'm going to look back on that run of my gambling career particularly fondly, and I'm already <laughs> missing it. But uh, without being able to just you know, auto bet Rashford at these ridiculous numbers, uh, the under at minus 110 of the two and a half goals is where I'm going to lay. Yeah, uh, so, so let's get to the last game because we're almost out of time. Oh, so go ahead. No, I was going to say, so before last season, I made a joke that Palace was going to break the Premier League uh, goal-scoring record for the least goals scored in a season. And then they kind of had this weird resurgency under Vieira. And now the team that I thought I was going to see last year is finally the Palace team that we're going to see this year. I mean, Zaha is 30 now too, and he is basically probably run his course as a productive Premier League player, I think. Um, because this whole thing was dribbling, getting into the box. The obviously the big kick was like the non-finished product. So anything to do with lack of goals in this match, big fan. Uh last game we got is Wolves 17th and 17 points versus Liverpool, ninth at 29 points. Saturday at 10 a.m. Liverpool is minus 124. Uh Wolves are plus 310. The draw is plus 280. Caesars has pool minus a half a goal at minus 130. And the Wolves on the double chance at plus 100. Uh so I, there's a big question I want to ask you. I'm not going to ask you, but for Liverpool, it's got to be a little bit disappointing compared to their peers in the rest of the league to just get kind of Gakpo in. Um, I want to talk about them a lot more next week and whether their problems are short-term or long-term or both and whether Jude Bellingham alone can fix them, but we're going to save that for next week. For this particular game, uh, the Wolves are awful. They're a deserving relegation candidate, <laughs> and they're the number one argument for Everton staying up in a lot of ways. Uh, so while pool might be in a little bit of a crisis, I can't believe the odds are this short. The black magic of recent years seems to be dissipating quickly. And as you always point out, out regression comes for everyone and it is coming hard for wolves right now. So it feels like pool should be minus 170 or higher to get them. And only minus 124 feels like a gift and I'm happy to cash it. Yeah, I'm with you on minus 124. And then the, the prop bet for me was yes to both teams to score. Uh, which is a definitely I don't trust Liverpool bet because betting on Wolves attack, I was looking at the anytime goal scorer numbers and I was like, do I really want to put money on Daniel Potens to score? So my whole thing is that collectively the ball will get bundled across the line past Allison. Um, and part of it too, is we talk about regression, it works both ways. Uh, Wolves have been like kind of unlucky in attack. Um, they've undershot their expected goals uh, by about six, uh, six goals. Uh, 12 to about 18, 12 uh, actual goals versus 18 expected goals. Part of it, if you dig a little deeper, Diego Costa has two expected goals worth of chances and hasn't cashed. Diego Costa is also washed. Um, So um, this is where, you know, you always contextualize data, right? Um, But that said, I just have no faith in Liverpool's defense at this point. Um, James Milner has been starting it right back. I don't know if that's like a, Shot across the bow to Tranel Alexander or they're managing his minutes or whatever. Um, but it's not like Milner's going to be the answer for them and shore him up defensively. I can't even say that with a straight face. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, yes, the both teams score minus 135 uh, and then Liverpool and minus 124 on the money line. Yeah, I, I've got goals as well, but I have them happening in the second half. Highest scoring half second is plus 100. Uh, it feels to me in watching the games that both teams have been slow starters. And it also feels to me that both teams are fading late in games. So you put it together and this is the best way to bet it. Um, because of my travels this week, I didn't do heavy trend line research, but just from sitting on the couch, I really, I'm feeling this one. So I'm willing to bet it blind without even looking at the numbers just for fun. Uh, so I beat you last week or last month. Um, uh, on the five pipe, Brett. I don't know if you knew that or not. The, and by the way, I didn't even have to calculate the final that. score because I was winning going into the last match week and you went 0 for 5. So I won by the two sweetest uh, words in the English language, default. I appreciate you laying down for me in that one <laughs> and giving me a month back. Uh, we are starting back up for February. Regression comes for everybody, including me after my big December. That's true. <laughs> we, had, we had 
barn burners in uh, December and, and November. I think we were, you know, within a pint or so of each other with a lot of heavy betting during the World Cup. So it feels good to win January with only two match weeks. And yeah, ready I, for I definitely threw up all over myself in January. Uh, but let's get it back in February, <laughs> brand new month. For my five pint to wrap up the show, I'm going with City minus 140, Chelsea to win at over 2.5 goals plus 145, Arsenal minus a goal and a half at plus 110. I thought heavily about putting a second pint on that one. Uh, Pool minus 124 on the money line and Pool Wolves highest scoring half second at plus 100. How about you, pal? Uh, so I got Arsenal. Uh, I mean, we're going to be. I'm going to kind of cancel out a little bit with this one, but I got Arsenal minus one and a half at plus 110, but I got two on that one. Okay. The anti-Everton bet. Uh, then I got the Arsenal clean sheet win at plus 114 for another pint. So I got three wrapped up in the best team in the league versus maybe the worst team in the league. I'm feeling, feeling good. That's like the way to break the streak, you know? Um, and then I'm going to take the Chelsea foam draw at plus 290. Uh, like I said, there's a lot of uncertainty with the turnover recently at Chelsea. I think that Fulham's going to keep that one relatively close or within the margin of error. Uh, and then I'm going to go with the anti-Crystal Palace bet. Uh, United clean sheet win plus 113. So I am rooting for a lack of goals and a draw. That seems very, very anticlimactic. But do you expect anything less from me, Toby? Yeah, if you're looking for good times, avoid Brett's apartment per usual. Um, so we will be back <laughs> next week. I'm really excited about the conversation we're going to have. The question I didn't get to ask this week, I, I just for a little inside baseball, I never actually tell Brett uh, very much about what I'm going to ask him because I value his ability to see sunshine. And if I give him too much time to prep, he will hunker down the entire time. But the question we will discuss next week is after this January <laughs> transfer window, which one of the top seven teams, uh, would you rank as having the best chance to dominate the league over the next five years? So we're going to do a little future casting next week while we talk about Ooh. that week's games. Uh, but while you uh, while you think about that, I like Brett, the I like the previews now for next week. While you think about that, uh, I hope you guys have a wonderful week. You enjoy the games this weekend, and we will be back next week with our usual interchange of horrible advice backed by expert analysis. Take care, everyone. <laughs>